Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Welcome. The conversation continues with my friend Larry Rutman and so many friends in your sphere of influence, particularly in the legal area. You can't help it, right? You meet so many people. You work with them as colleagues and sometimes clients and sometimes combatants, and you get to know them. So we thought we'd spend some time with some of these additional folks here today, if that's okay with you. That's fine. I'd love to. I've got a list here, and we'll just go down the list. It's more fun for me to just toss a name and have you respond. Not to be confused with the actor who played the fugitive. That was David Jansen. This is David Jensen, and he's topping the list today. So what is, it, what is it about David you'd like to share? Well, David is a terrific guy. He's a lawyer. He's a real estate lawyer. And um, I practiced with him at uh, 1330 Beacon Street in Coolidge Corner, the main intersection in Brookline. What happened uh, was that um, I had a big office, the big uh, circular office that looks out on Coolidge Corner. You can see Boston in the background. Mm. But ultimately, the time came to close that uh, because uh, my associate at the time, Alan Goodman, uh, was moving to smaller quarters. And uh, so I had to move in the same building. And I decided that I would ask uh, David Jensen, who was going to form a not a partnership, but a group of folks uh, on the fourth floor, um, so that uh, we worked that out. Um, actually, at first, we practiced. We all practiced together on the in a smaller uh, set of uh, offices downstairs, and then we moved upstairs. Now, upstairs was where I spoke about Melvin Newman before. He had been there about twenty five years before that. Uh, it was a big space, and um, David worked it out. So I had the main big office in the back of the suite. Anyway, to get to David Jensen himself, a really gentle, nice, personable, friendly man uh, that uh, I never had uh, an argument with. We always got along famously. We would joke at all times. So he made joining that association of lawyers, there were about six or seven of us, a few women, three at least, and um, we all got along as associates, and um, David was just a pleasure. His wife is well-known in the art field because she was an art consultant. She wrote a book on it. Uh, David had a son that I think is in acting at the present time, and uh, David himself is still practicing, and we still send joking emails to one another. So that's a friendship that has lasted. Next one on the list is a female, Patricia Simboli. Was she uh, Yeah, well, special? Patricia was something. Now, when I first came after David Jensen and after that association in Coolidge Corner, uh, at that time I decided I was going to become a writer. And uh, I needed smaller quarters. My uh, law practice, uh, I was happy to see decline. After all, I was 70 at that time. And I wanted to write and see what I could do with that. Now, Patricia uh, was the landlord. Her father actually was the guy that uh, was the landlord. 
Uh, he was a wonderful guy. He died just about a year ago. She was particularly close to him. He did some CIA-type work when he was in the service many years ago. I met him when he came over the offices once or twice, a really distinguished guy. Right away, you liked him. Now, Patricia herself, when she met me, was what you might call a hard landlord. She was uh, didn't seem particularly pleasant. She was... Uh, she laid down the law, what she wanted. She needed to have a lease that was signed, et cetera, et cetera. And any time that I would meet Patricia, she would seem the same way. However, as time went on, well, she probably said to herself, this 70-year-old, and I told her I wanted to write, she, but she must have said to herself, this 70-year-old guy won't be here long. <laughs> I mean, this, you know, he thinks he's going to be published and so forth and so on. That was before my first book was published, and it was published. Well, who knew? She didn't know. I didn't know that I would be there for 20 years until last October in this relatively small office where I had a great number of friends, we'll talk about them, down the hall in this small building with a small second floor and, a, and those small offices. And she showed to me at the end that she really was from a warm, Italianate uh, family that appreciated family and personal relationships because she seemingly uncharacteristically, but ultimately I decided characteristically, wrote me wonderful notes about how proud they were of my long association with them, that I always paid my rent on time, that I was this and I was that and was sorry to see you go. Uh, and we know that it probably is time to move your office back home. Anyway, Patricia, uh, she just wrote to me the other day because I sent her a letter where she could find my podcast. She wrote me a personal letter, so happy that you're doing a podcast, I'm going to listen, that sort of stuff. So that was like a metamorphosis of a human being in my observance. It's interesting, isn't it, Larry, how you, uh, you, you think about a landlord. The first thing that you think about is snidely whiplash, you know, looking at, <laughs> ha, 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 I'm going to get you with a rent. But uh, landlords are people, too. And in your case, you know, people who become friends and, and you develop that relationship. That's really cool. You know, as a matter of fact, the Symbolis, um, they're the ones that uh, built that big building in Chelsea where the FBI has its quarters now. Oh. It's a big, huge building. Sure. And this place in Brookline is, you know, a small little place. But uh, 20 years you hung out, 20 years. Hung out 20 years in that little small office. It was incredible when we cleaned it out, as I said to you before. Lois cleaned it up, so it was... And they just let it to somebody else. Took them a year. It took them a year. Well, your shoes are hard to fill, even though you got those great socks. <laughs> Linda Gavin, tell me about Linda. Well, Linda was my next-door neighbor, and um, I used to drive by that office, and Linda Gavin had her name up in the window, Linda Gavin Law Offices, and that's when I was in Coolidge Corner. That's when I had the big office, and I said to myself, God, I wouldn't want to be in that small building. I'm happy where I am in Coolidge mm. Corner. Well, it turned out that I spent really happy years uh, at that small office, and when I came there, um, I was uh, they were all Irish up there. Uh, Linda Gavin, Joe Killian, Paula Killian, Walter Landrigan, we can talk about them, all lawyers. And um, so when I walked in there, um, Joe Killian, 
who was a rather formidable-looking guy, used to play baseball at Holy Cross. He looked as though he was going to eat me up. And I said to him, hey, you folks are all Irish. I said, "What? that's just what you need up here, an old Jewish guy. <laughs> and that, that sealed the deal with all of them. Humor is a great way to break the ice. Uh, yeah, we became, we all became good so, friends. So was Paula also, Paula and Joe were husband and wife? They were husband and wife. And let me okay. tell you about Joe Killian. <clears throat> Joe Killian turned out to be a pussycat. Uh, he's just a wonderful guy. Now, you, if you if you can believe this, Joe had a small outer office like I did and a small back office like I did. Now, Joe apparently couldn't throw anything away so that the back office became filled with stuff to the ceiling, literally, so that you couldn't get in there. God knows what was in there. Almost a hoarder, it sounds like. Yeah, well, a hoarder. And God knows what, uh, you know, in order to clean the place out, when he passed on, who knows what, I wasn't there that day. But anyway, um, whether he was a hoarder or not, I don't know, but he turned out to be no threat. And matter of fact, he turned out to be a warm friend. We would discuss baseball all the time. He knew everybody in the Brookline court. When I got tickets for my bad driving, he would go to court with me and he would help make nice. Make nice. Help. And um, <laughs> so uh, he, he was a really a terrific guy, a very warm guy. And Walter Landigan, who was down the hall, much younger than Joe, and he's still there, and I just got a a letter from, uh, I just got an email from Walter yesterday, because he's left that uh, place too. Uh, he was very gentle. He handled some of my cases while I was doing a lot of writing. And Walter was, you know, a guy you could not get angry at because he was gentle, nice, sweet, uh, he handled my cases. I always knew that he would never try and steal a client or steal a buck or anything. And he wrote to me yesterday and said, I'm listening to your podcast and I'm really enjoying them. So I wrote him back a very nice letter how happy I was that he was doing that. And um, so that uh, Walter loved Joe Killian. Now, Joe Killian, what happened is that he got cancer of the, uh, of the uh, colon oh. and it killed him within a year or two. And we were all really uh, uh, thinking about Joe because he was fairly young. He probably was around 70 at the time mm. and a t- terrific guy. And everybody thought very well of him. I know I did. And Walter was especially close to him. And they did some cases together that turned out very well. And um, I think that uh, Walter was uh, – he mourned him like he was a family member or his father or somebody like that. Now, Paula, she was a beauty in her youth. She's very nice-looking, Irish, blue eyes, great. And even when she was – you know, when I met her, she's probably 60. She was a great trial lawyer. Still is. I think she still practices. Mm. She would go into court and she had – you know, she gave no quarter – Expected no quarter, and uh, she was tough to deal with. She knew where she knew who she was. She knew where she stood, and she just you know she wowed them in the courtroom. And uh, so Paula Killian has a very good reputation. I'm also in criminal defense and stuff like that. And Paula and I, you know, I got along with Paula, and uh, but she was a different. Different than Joe altogether. They had some tough breaks in their life. The house they lived in burned to the ground, literally. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, 
not all that many years before Joe passed away. And uh, so I've told you about, uh, and Linda next door was, she is important because she was involved in a same-sex marriage. Now, I went to Europe, and when I, at one time, when I came back, the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts had just passed the Goodrich case allowing for same-sex marriage that I told you about previously. Right. And Linda and her, I've never met the lady she lived with. They were married right after that at the town hall in Brookline. And Linda was also a very capable criminal lawyer. She handled the case for me one time. Turned out very well. I got along with all these people, so that uh, that tells you about uh, uh, them. And then I put down here Steve Simon and Chloe. Now, do you wonder about that one? Yeah, is it Chloe Simon or is that? Uh, <laughs> I, it doesn't say a last name there. So <laughs> tell me about that situation. Or is Chloe a four-legged creature? <laughs> yes, she's a four-legged creature. There you go. That and uh, so you. Jordan, I figured you'd get that. It took me uh, 30 seconds, maybe 20. So anyway, Chloe was a sweet, small dog, and Steve would take her to the office every day. Now, Steve was a very low-key guy, successful in the work he did, which was, uh, I think, making websites and stuff like that, uh, for uh, sometimes for pretty sizable companies. And Steve was very good on the computer, and I'm very bad on the computer, and when I would ask him to come down and solve a problem, he would come, even though his system was different than my system, he would stick around until he solved it. So that's the kind of guy that Steve was, a very obliging guy from the Midwest. And uh, Chloe, he and Chloe were like, uh, you know, uh, Chloe loved him. He loved Chloe. And um, Steve and I, you know, I took uh, in... in uh, reciprocation for what Steve did for me. I took him to dinner a couple of times. We really enjoyed each other's company. And even now we're making plans to to try and do that again. And Steve, so I wrote to Steve recently about something, and he wrote back that Chloe had passed away. Uh And that was, I'm sure he was, and he was very broken up about that. Was Lois uh, friendly with Chloe? Lois knew Chloe, yeah. She used to say to me when I got back from the office, I, I might talk about Steve came in and helped me today. Was Chloe there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but Steve, you, w- you just wouldn't think so. He used to listen to all my stuff. You know, I can talk. I told him that I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm doing a memoir. How about the Red Sox? I would talk his ear off. And he liked it because, as you say, people like somebody who talks to them. And he was, you know, he was shy. I don't know about shy. Listen to this. He had a program on Boston College Radio, which he liked music that was uh, garage punk and funk. I don't know what the hell he called it. But it was, I listened to it one time. WZBC. Is that what it is? Yeah. And they... So he would play this. He still has a still has a program over there, and he plays this wild stuff. And when I first heard it, I said, "Steve Simon likes this stuff." <laughs> you never know, right? I try to turn him on to Beethoven or or even Bruce Springsteen, but he liked this far out stuff. Wow, some interesting characters. And I just want to go back to one thing you talked about: the location. Set the stage for that early office in the central part of Brookline, because I know exactly where it was in 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 Harvard Square, not Harvard Square, no, near Harvard Street, right? 
You're talking about the one where all these people were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, – I, I think the address was uh, 4 Cypress Street. Yeah. Or 8 Cypress Street. That's a, a bustling area. I love Brookline, but that's a really central well, the, area. Yeah, well, it is because uh, the library is right close by and so mm. is the town hall mm-hmm. and so is the Brookline Court and so is the Pierce School. And it is a bustling area and uh, it made it e- easy uh, if you needed to get to those places. But downstairs, as you – Undoubtedly, remember there's a French bakery, mm. and we and you know, and Lois and I became very friendly with the lovely Greek lady and her husband who passed away from cancer some years ago, um, and would buy stuff there like uh, eclairs, cream puffs, brownies, chocolate covered apricots, all that kind of stuff, and um, that's one of the stores down there. Recently. A Thai restaurant was opened in that little block, which is pretty good. And mm. uh, Lois hates Thai food, but occasionally I'd call up and say, give me the pad Thai with grilled chicken and put in some of that hot sauce. Do you like pad <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I knew there was another reason I loved you. Oh, my God. We have, to do, we have to do some Thai food, you and me, one of these days. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the other Thai stuff, well, I like Thai food because, well, it's, it's – uh, you know, I like Chinese food, but Chinese food is is heavier. Thai food has all those vegetables and anything with peanuts and peanut butter. In yeah, peanut it. peanut good, butter. I'm good. And on when that. I would call up, I you know I'm you know me, Jordan. I'm I'm not liable just to say pad Thai. I'm no, no, say, no. Pad Thai. Put this in it and put this in it. And anyway, I like pad Thai. They have a dish with grilled chicken on top, and I and um, also I would say. Yeah, and put in a lot of veggies. That'll be $2 extra. Fine, fine, $2 extra, no problem. <laughs> we haven't even touched on food uh, as much as we might in the future, but uh, <laughs> you've given me some inklings as to where you're going and what you love. I love Thai food, too. Well, Larry, those are some very nice folks that you have had the pleasure of knowing, some of whom are still active in the law, some of whom have gone, but... Uh, what a nice recollection as part of your living memoir. Yeah, I wrote that in my memoir. I mean, though, these people were all good friends. We just all got along very well, and it was a wonderful experience. May Chloe rest in peace. Uh, Chloe was a nice little dog. She used to back off when I would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, she said, this guy is too big for me. Yeah, yeah. He, he could be a threat. Anyway, no, you're just a pussycat. Thank you so much, my friend. More conversations with Larry Rutman are ahead. Do subscribe and download this podcast and you're in for a real treat every time. We'll see you next time. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRutman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.